2: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast, we are following the after-hours action. Shares of Lenar and CrowdStrike, both stocks on the move after reporting results. We'll dive into their quarters straight ahead. Plus, Guy is stepping up to the plate to pitch his next best idea, why he thinks this chip stock is ready to rip. And later, move over Gene Rayburn. Google it if you don't know them. We're playing the fast money mismatch game. We're pairing up stocks that have absolutely nothing in common except for one thing, the same valuation. Find out which of our mismatched pairs is a better buy. we start off with breaking news on Uber. Deidre Bosa's got the story. Debo.
0: Hey, Melissa. In an SEC filing just now, Uber says that it will reclassify all of its UK-based drivers as worker. As such, they will be entitled to certain benefits, but they will not be full employees. Now, the move will increase Uber's costs in the UK, but in the filing, the company says it is still targeting adjusted EBITDA profitability. By year end, in the after hours, trade Uber shares are down about 2%. Now, of Of course, Melissa, this comes after a five-year legal battle where Uber has fought to keep drivers as independent contractors in the UK. Now, it does, of course, face other battles around the world in an op-ed with the UK's Evening Standard that was just published as well. CEO Darwakos Roshayi says he does not expect to be pat on the back for this decision, but he does hope... It shows a willingness to change. Uh, We will see if that's the case as he confronts more of these regulatory battles here and abroad. Back to you.
2: All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, Dan Nathan, should this change the way you look at Uber, given that London is one of the biggest markets it, it operates in?
3: Yeah, clearly one of the biggest markets. I mean, I think they pretty much well-defined what the costs are going to be associated with it. Their ability to kind of guide or continue to guide to even uh, break even makes um, a lot of sense. I think that it is not a clear-cut case here in the U.S. Um, you know, we some drivers want it, some drivers don't, some unions want it. it, it it's just one of those things that's going to continue to go on. I, I liken it to, remember back in the day, was Amazon going to collect sales tax or were they not? And when it finally happened, it didn't matter anymore. You know, the company's, course was set in the direction it was going to go in. And, you know, I just think it's important to remember that this company is not expected to be, um, you know, break even or profitable um, on an adjusted basis, at least uh, on an EPS basis for another two years or so. So at some point, I think investors may start to wonder um, about that valuation, given the headwinds um, or the potential uncertainty about how to classify these workers. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I just don't think it's that big of a deal.
2: I mean, I I think Dan makes a good point in terms of it not being in the United States, given that many drivers operate, you know, they have other jobs, they are students, et cetera, they do Uber driving part-time. But in European countries, this could be a bigger risk, which really underscores the difference, Tim, between an Uber and a Lyft.
4: Yes, um, and underscores the difference between European and U.S. labor markets, too. I mean, European labor markets are much, much more, uh, frankly, in favor of the worker. And and uh, over here, yes. If you ask a lot of Uber drivers, they're also driving for Lyft, and they're also, uh, you know, driving for for other folks, including three other jobs. Um, I I don't you know, look, I think this is not good news. I I, I don't think this necessarily changes the characterization of the profit profile. And I think they're going to be cautious about what they do uh, and how they say that it's a stock that's run almost 80 percent since the the California uh, announcement. And and the delay, effectively, and the pushback of of the classification of workers um, and a time when the the company is a great reopening story. So I think you're cautious here as traders. I don't think you have to do anything here uh, for a company that's got a lot of good news priced in.
2: All right. Uber shares down about one and a half percent right now. Switching gears to a big question for investors. This is a big one that we want to discuss ahead of tomorrow. Why doesn't anyone believe Jerome Powell? We're going to hear from the Fed chief tomorrow afternoon as he wraps up a two day policy meeting. The rapid rise in rates sure to be front and center. Now, remember, (coughs) Powell told us earlier this month the Fed isn't even thinking about thinking about a rate hike anytime soon. But if you ask Wall Street, they're not buying it. Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs all out with new research in just the past couple of days saying the Fed is likely to overshoot its inflation target, forcing them to move up their timeline for raising rates. So the question is, do you believe? Should you believe? Jerome Powell. Guy, we started off with you.
5: I absolutely believe them. I believe every word they say all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm quite certain that they have no intention of raising rates. That doesn't mean they shouldn't. It doesn't mean the market's not going to do it for them. And in terms of inflation, I mean, if you're just living on this planet, which last I looked, we all are, although there's some questions from time to time about some of us. I mean, inflation is everywhere. Steel prices, copper prices, food prices, education prices, health care prices, asset prices. And oh, by the way, don't think for a second... Then when Mr. Weebles the other day sold that $69 million piece of art, I mean, that isn't part and parcel as to what's going on. So inflation is everywhere. It's just they choose not to measure it or not acknowledge it. So in the midst of that, the market's sort of doing it for them. I have no idea what he's going to say tomorrow. $120 billion worth of purchases month to month. You know, they're going to have to increase that to keep rates down. I don't know. But right now, the market is doing things for them. And I think there should be concern. What's fascinating to me is on a day when, you know, we're talking about this, you saw the VIX go below 20, you know, basically for one of the first times we've seen in the last year or so, which is really um, disturbing to me. And it's, it's, you know, it speaks to the complacency that I think they've created. But do I believe them? Absolutely. Does the market believe them? I think they're starting to call BS a little bit here, the, Mel.
2: The VIX sits at levels not seen since February of last year. Bono and Eisen, it seems like a lot of people are getting a lot more optimistic about this reopening, think it's going to be hotter than we all had anticipated. So why shouldn't the Fed start thinking about moving up that time, timeline?
1: Listen, I'm sure they're considered. I think the Fed is taking everything into consideration. But what we've been talking about, and Guy just mentioned the VIX, is the volatility both in equities and now in the rate market. And what the Fed is trying to do is take a measured approach so that it doesn't end up overshooting one way or the other. Imagine if we were to raise rates immediately and then have a situation where we had to reclose the economy and deal with all of that, or if rates were hiked, or if they cut back bond purchases. So talk about getting slammed for being transparent. The last time I checked, I appreciate it when people are forthright with me, and I'm not going to punish Jerome Powell for doing that with us. Now, I can understand that people are taking the contrarian side of a bet, but I find it a bit ironic that now the contrarian trade is crowded. By definition, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. So, yeah, I get it. It's a market. It's two ways for a reason. People are entitled to express their view. But I think that 2020 and 2021 so far have been defined by Fed policy. And it's been an extremely dangerous proposition to bet against that. You would have gotten yourself killed for the last year. So I'm not going to make it a habit of stepping in front of that. If they end up changing course, I can understand that. But I expect them to continue to measure the approach, continue to take in data and then react accordingly.
2: Tim Seymour, what do you say to that?
1: Well, your, your
4: question was, does, does the market believe the Fed? And I, I think today's action tells you exactly that the market does not. And and it puts Powell in a really difficult position. And we, we knew this uh, two weeks ago when rates were getting out of hand and, and and Powell was in there. Like If Powell if Powell says they're not going to do anything, the market's going to do it for him, And the market's going to price the long end. And they've lost control. Um, if, if he actually does say, you know what, uh, we're thinking about it. We're thinking about it rationally. We're thinking about it, uh, it, it formulaically. We're thinking about it in terms of, you know, clearly, what our models are telling us and they're telling us that the reopening's going to be strong and they wouldn't say it like this and they wouldn't say it they'd say it much more nuanced but but then, then you have a problem with credit spreads and you have a problem with equities so um, I, very very difficult corner to be painted in and the one that the Fed uh, probably painted them into two years ago, possibly five years ago, possibly all the way back to long-term capital. I, you know, you tell me, uh, but the Fed has to get themselves out of it at some point. The minute they start pulling liquidity from this market, put on your put on your, your hard hats. I'm not saying put on your crash helmet, but put on your hard hat because it's not going to go well.
2: Painted into a corner, threading the needle, you throw the metaphor at, at the Fed and it, it, either way, it's <laughs> difficult to do. Whatever it is, it's difficult to get out of, it's difficult to do. But you know what? Maybe the Fed can control the situation in one way when it comes to the longer end of the yield curve. Let's bring in Steve Leisman for for more on this. Steve, you have a provocative theory as to Uh what the Fed should do.
6: Well, first of all, Melissa, do some calculations. Timmy, would you help me out here? (laughs) Timmy, I need some help. I don't have my calculator working here. Let me just do this right now. Okay. All right. Talk about not believing the Fed. I want to just go at this thing real quickly here. I have the S&P. Go back to, I don't know what you want to call it, September. The 10-year was 66 basis points. The S&P was 3,300, call it, okay? Over that time, the market is up 3,962. That's what I got yesterday, or I guess that's even today. And I got the 10-year at 1,62. So the market's gone straight up. What's my percentage return on that time period? what I got about 600 points, I don't like to do math live on national television. So 660
4: on 3,300 is
6: is roughly uh, uh, 20%. Okay, so 20% up while the 10-year has gone up. You tell me the market doesn't believe the Fed. I think they believe the Fed lock, stock, and barrel. I think, Melissa, if you look at what's happened to yields and then Powell came forward and said, you know what, this is not a big deal. This is what we'd expected. And the market kept going up from that March 3rd moment when we had this. So I I guess I would question one of the premises, Melissa. I think the market believes the Fed. And I think Powell, I don't know, maybe he's won this round against the market. The market tried to push him. They tried to push him to push down on the 10 year yield. Mm -hmm. They tried to push him off of his notion of whether or not. Um, uh, he he should be quite so dovish for quite so long. He pushed back. I think he's won this round.
2: Why would you declare him a winner so early, Stephen? We've seen a a rapid rise in rates, and and you've seen it. The market has thrown a tantrum when that 10-year yield goes towards 1.6%, and we're digesting that level. Why is it that Wall Street firms are are saying that the Fed is going to be forced to move up their timeline when he says not thinking about thinking about raising rates. They're saying, you know what, Jerome Powell, we don't believe that. We think you're going to have to move up that timeline. That's what I mean by not well, believing I'll, an, I'll, the I'll Fed. answer
6: those, uh, I'll answer that question in two parts. First of all, you've got to, you know, call the clock at some point. OK, I'm just saying at this point you're at 160. Markets are still in pretty good shape here relative to where we've been. Uh, There hasn't been a complete sell-off. We went up to 160. I think that's pretty clear. The other thing, though, is that to be a little careful with what those Wall Street firms are saying. They're saying that some of the uh, dots that are in 2023 may come back into 22. What do we have in an argument over here? Whether or not the Fed is going to hike in the second half of 2022 or in the first half of 2023, usually the market does not get that exercised about what's going to happen I don't know what you want to call it, 18 months down the road. The debate, Melissa, is will the Fed begin to taper in November, maybe October, or sometime, as Goldman suggests, early next year, early in 2022? All of that stuff seems to be on the margin. If you tell me the Fed is talking about rate hikes this summer or otherwise doing some other stuff with QE this summer, that's moving up the timeline. The debate right now is what happens much later this year and into 2022. So I don't think all of this stuff is of tremendous consequence for the moment. Not when you have massive vaccinations, you have a a GDP that's going to come in north of 6%. You've got the Fed wide open, $1.9 trillion in stimulus, and, and I think companies, and I think this is the thing that you guys are most focused on, and, and rightly so, and, and, and better than anybody else, is what's that mean for bottom lines of companies? You, I think you it have just outlined every
2: that. single reason why Jerome Powell should move up his timeline. <laughs> you just gave him a laundry list of reasons why that timeline should be moved up.
6: Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't say one thing, Melissa. Okay. I didn't say 10 million people unemployed, a 6.2% unemployment rate, um, when in fact, by the way, he thinks it's really more like 10 when you include those people who dropped out of the workforce. Look, he has said, and and I guess I take him at his word, and maybe you're right, Maybe people on Wall Street don't, and I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong here, but I take him at his word that he means to operate in a way that is different from previous feds, which is to really drive down that unemployment rate, not leave... Um, You know, minorities and people who are otherwise uh, uh, have more trouble in the job market, leave them hanging on this uh, uh, expansion here. He's going to let it go as long as he can. And he's going to, I guess, test the inflation theories or the inflation dynamics in this economy. Remember, the last time we had an outbreak of inflation, it was in the 70s. We didn't have globalization as much as we have now. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have the uh, notion in people's minds, Melissa, that if a price is wrong, you can go out. And I would really challenge Guy on the issue of inflation being everywhere. First of all, you don't eat assets, uh, guy. I can't put that into the into the CPI. I, I, I can't. I don't know how much assets I consume to put into the CPI. That's one thing. The other thing is the price indices are the price indices, and you can look at any one of them, and they all show relatively modest inflation. If you have a better price index, index, I'd be willing to consider it. The entire economics world would consider it. But when you look at the Million dollar, A million prices that are out there on the web. There's a great uh, series there. The Dallas trim meme. There's 14 indices. They all sort of say the same thing. So, Guy, yeah, some things are going up, but a lot of things are going down. For example, service inflation.
5: No, it's fair. And for, for 35 million people in this country, they're not eating anything, quite frankly. And, you know, I don't want to get into that whole thing, but I, I would submit and i push right. back and say, yeah, through the lens of the stock market, the guy's a genius. You know, and maybe he should win some prize, but... For 10 percent of this country, this is early 1930 stuff going on. And, you know, they seem to I would submit that a lot of that has to do with the policies they put in place over the last 12 years. I mean, I know you're going to say I'm wrong, but I mean, that's just my opinion. And they don't seem
6: to be able to answer that question when asked. You know, it makes sense to me, Guy, except if you could if you could explain to me how the Fed raising rates will help poor people and lower income people more. I don't see it. I don't get it. But but maybe there is some way it does definitely advantage wealthy people by raising the stock market. It also helps uh, middle class and lower income people by lowering interest rates for them, uh, especially when it comes to housing. So I, I, I get that the Fed policy does do some of what you're saying. I don't disagree, but I don't see how raising rates or being tighter on policy helps them more.
2: Steve, we got to go. We got to get to LaVornia. But before we go, I know you do. Tell us about Taper and Twist.
6: (laughs) Okay, Taper and Twist is my idea that I came up with, and I haven't run it by anybody except for I guess I run it by you guys. It's a conditional policy where so so I know that what Powell wants to do is Powell wants to avoid a taper tension. He wants the ability to pivot out of this. Uh, A very strong $120 billion of Kiwi, which, by the way, I acknowledge, I think, I'll acknowledge the guy, I think that's too much. I think the Fed should be pairing that back already. Given that, Pat wants to avoid the the tantrum. What he could say is, if there is such a reaction in the market, the Federal Reserve is willing to do what's called a twist, which is to sell the long, the short end, and by the long end to, to ameliorate or otherwise ease the rise in rates that might come from an announcement of a taper. So I call it a taper and twist because it's alliterative and it sounds cool.
2: Are you going to ask him that tomorrow?
6: Um, I think I'd prefer to see what they have to say. Maybe. I don't think so. I, it's something oh, I want to report, on. actually. I, I was mm-hmm. I, you know, somebody made me say it on television today what my idea was, and I, didn't, I wasn't really ready to. I, I'd prefer to think about it a little bit more. But, I, I, you know, taper and twist sounds good. i like to own it, you know.
2: <laughs> All right, Steve, thanks. Great to speak with you. Steve Leisman. Sure. Our next guest believes the Fed will calm inflation fears, setting the stage for another record run. Joe LaVornia, the aforementioned LaVornia, the chief economist of the Americas at Natixis. He served as White House chief economist in the Trump administration. Joe, welcome back to CNBC. Good to see you.
7: Thank you. Great to be back, Melissa. Thank you.
2: So you think that this is like nirvana for the markets?
7: It's nirvana for the markets. And uh, my good friend Steve Leisman was on something. The Fed is going to keep rates extremely accommodative. It would be a big mistake, Melissa, if Jay Powell was to signal any bringing forward of tightening. The Fed's M.O. has been time and time again to get inflation higher, and now they want to run it hot for a period of time to get inflation higher so that it offsets the fact that it's basically missed its target for the last 12, 13 years. If that means higher equity prices and tighter credit spreads, so be it. But I would be very surprised if the Fed comes off of this super dovish approach. If they do signal that tightening is occurring sooner, if they do signal that we're getting a taper sooner, that is going to lead to a big hiccup in markets, higher rates, lower equity prices, wider spreads. And that will work against what they're trying to do, which is really get what will probably be the best year for GDP since 1983.
1: Hey Joe, thanks so much for joining us tonight. This is Bono a quick question. If the contrarians get what they want and there is some language that indicates that we will have um, some tapering or uh, you know, raising and change in policy, do you think we'll see this translate in the equity market or the credit market? Which, which do you think will be the leading indicator
7: in that regard? It will happen both at the same time. Uh, The thing is, if you look at inflation, we've had two months in a row now where your core inflation rate has disappointed to the downside. Over the last three months, your core CPI annualized is under 1%. Over the last year, it's only 1.2%. So, yes, you have higher inflation expectations. But if the Fed all of a sudden brings forward the timing of even the taper, equities and credit will both react simultaneously and it will be in a negative direction. That's not to say that the world will end or the economy will be weak, but if the Fed is really trying to run the economy hot, as Jay Powell has said time and time again, then they need to keep this policy with the pedal to the metal and only after a period of time, when we've actually seen inflation, measured inflation move higher, can we start to, I think, guess, okay, maybe they're gonna ease off the gas a little bit. We're just no way there, we're no way near there yet.
4: Hey, Joe, it's Tim. Um, you, you so Nirvana, you, you said six to nine months of Nirvana. So let's go to that great rock album. You're a rocker. Nineteen ninety one uh, Nirvana song number five is called lithium and, and lithium is usually used to treat bipolar disorders. Um, this market without the Fed is absolutely is absol- it, it, basically been I should say has been led to bipolar by the Fed. H- how do we get out of this dynamic or is it is it the Fed's problem to worry about?
7: I wouldn't say it's bipolar, Tim, simply because if you look at bond yields, they've been negative for, for over two years. This is a global story, which the Fed is obviously a very important part of. But we're still looking, as you know, at a tremendous recovery in earnings. Uh, we had a V-shaped boom last year. I talked about it when I was in the administration. That That's continued. We've got a lot of momentum, certainly this year. We've got additional stimulus, which has certainly been a huge prop for growth. And the earnings that you're seeing on the equity market are gonna be somewhere up 185, 190. I mean, it's gonna be a massive recovery from from where we were before. So I wouldn't say it's bipolar. I wouldn't say this is just Fed engineer. I mean, certainly there's a lot of market intervention, but that's been the case, Tim, with these central banks for a long time. So I wouldn't necessarily focus on the Fed. The question is, when will rates naturally rise because the demand for capital is so strong for new investment that rates are forced to go higher? And uh, we're not at that point yet, maybe late this year, early next year, but not yet.
2: Joe, great to see you. Thanks.
7: Thank you, Melissa.
2: Joe LaVornia of Natixis. Uh, quickly, Dan Nathan, to button this conversation up. Jerome Powell comes out tomorrow, says, again, we're not thinking about thinking about thinking about. Adds a thinking about even raising rates. Do yields stay put? Have, have we seen the, the, the top for now?
3: Well, first of all, that's exactly what he's going to do. They're not going to surprise anybody. Um, And so no one thinks that's going to happen here. And I think Guy has been right that the rates are just, you know, at least in the 10 years, going to continue to float up towards that 2%. But I'll just say it again. If you're looking at it through the lens of the stock market, if you're looking at it again, lens of the V recovery, what have we done here over the last year or so? What have we done over the last 12 years or so. I mean, it literally has been a transfer of wealth, right, from 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 sovereigns into the corporate sector here. So the stock market, of course, is reflecting this, but rates are never going meaningfully higher, maybe above two and a quarter. I don't know, maybe two and a half percent. If you really think about, look at how much debt there is all over the world to continue to keep this stuff afloat. So to me, I just think that maybe you see two percent and equities don't even care. All
2: right. Well, we have got a market flash we want to get to. Plug Power, uh, that stock is plunging after hours. Seema Modi's got the details. Seema.
0: Melissa, I want to point your attention to Plug Power shares dropping as much as 15% after the company says it will need to restate some of its financials for fiscal years
2: 2018 and 2019, along with quarterly filings for 2019 and 2020. The company says it and its accounting firm, KPMG, determined there were errors related to several non-cash items, and it will disclose those restatements in an upcoming filing. Plug Power says it still expects to achieve its gross billings targets in 2021, uh, 2022 and 2024. This is, of course, a company that specializes in fuel cell technology falling here in extended trade. Melissa. All right. Seema, thanks. Seema Modi. Uh, Guy, what do you make of this?
5: It's interesting. Thirty five and a half in in terms of the stock price. That's where we exploded from higher. I think we traded up almost at seventy six dollars or so. Now here we are, I think. If I'm not mistaken, we're probably right back around that 36.5, 37 level. So you can play the $100 table here and say, look, markets are going to look past this. They're going to, give a, they're going to basically might give them a mulligan here. And you have a shot to buy this stock at levels you haven't seen in quite some time because the overall story, the far-reaching story, might be intact. I probably wouldn't play at that table, but I understand in this environment there are a lot of people that are. You have a shot to buy this stock on the back of this news on a day tomorrow where it's a trade extraordinary volume. Uh, for a play over the next six months. It's it's really interesting opportunity, I think, in plug power.
2: All right, coming up, China cracks down, Beijing putting a big tech in its crosshairs, how you can trade around the tech takedown. But first, we're all over the after-hours action, and CrowdStrike will bring you the trade when Fast Money returns.
6: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
8: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments a comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors and it's how yahoo finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety for comprehensive financial news and analysis visit the brand behind every great investor yahoo finance.com the number one financial destination yahoo that's yahoo welcome back to fast
2: money whoever said valuations don't matter well they do to us. So we are going to play a new game. Yes, a new game here on Fast Money. It's not the match game. It's the mismatch game. That's right. We're bringing the 1970s into the 2020s. We couldn't use the original game show music. Otherwise, we'd be sued. So you're stuck with this. Um, But here's how it works. We're looking at pairs of stocks that have absolutely nothing in common, except for one thing. They're both trading around the same valuation. So let's get right into it. Our first mismatch. Chipotle and Amazon, both trading around 65 times forward earnings. So, Guy, which is the better buy?
5: Well, I would love to say CMG for a number of different reasons, for a myriad of different reasons. And we've talked about the burrito blowout for quite some time, and the stock has been a monster. But at some point, the growth wanes in a name like CMG, like we've seen in all these restaurants of that elk, and it comes back down to earth and then valuations move down and it probably uh, coincides with the stock moving lower as well. I think we're a ways away from that, but it's going to happen, whereas Amazon, look, the sky's the limit in terms of where their growth can come from. So as much as it pains me to say it, the better buy, in my opinion, playing this match game would be Amazon.
2: You played the game quite well, considering this is our first, our maiden voyage, you.
1: if you will. Thank
2: you. Um, bon- Bonoin, <laughs> you, you want to weigh in on this, on this mismatch, Amazon or CMG?
1: Uh, sure. I mean, the, the music is um, reminiscent Horrendous. of something I've never heard before. Um, but Amazon, yes. I mean, for all the reasons that Guy <laughs> stated, essentially, I think that you could see some, you know, some choppiness here. We've seen it in growth. But over the long term, this is about where you're getting value accretion. For what multiple, and I think Amazon checks all the bo- uh, all the boxes here.
2: Bono is so polite; it's like never. It's like nothing he's ever heard before. I said it was horrible music. That is. Um, Tim is up next. Uh, our next mismatch pair: Walmart and Facebook, both trading at about 24 times forward earnings. Which is the better buy, Tim Seymour?
4: By, by the way, speaking of mismatches, I mean, how about that crew on Match Game? I, I mean, Brett Summers, you know, Fannie Flag, Charles. Ne- I mean. Talk about uh, mismatches. Anyway, uh, let's get back to this game. Uh, Look, mismatch because, in fact, you've got a tech company that's trading at a multiple, really, that that is more akin to a consumer staples or, uh, or, you know, essentially a big box retailer, which is Walmart. Um, That's the story here. Facebook is trading at a discount. Because the market, one, uh, is putting a discount on, on, you know, really, to me, the quality of management, the quality of the earnings profile, uh, and the quality of their really being able to control their business long term, is my view. Facebook's traded cheap to the sector for a long time. Walmart, um, trading cheap to itself relative to the last uh, couple months, but but ultimately it's a company that is re-rating, in my view. It's a company that's re-rating along with the e-commerce growth in our country, of which they're going to take a disproportionate amount, and I think they're going to be competing with Amazon at some point. So again, in, in a mismatched world, um, Walmart, I think, behaves more like the tech company, and Facebook behaves more like the consumer staples company, and, and I think that's what's crazy about all this. So, walmart if i wasn't clear
2: dan you want to weigh in
4: um
3: i don't know how clear he was uh, no i'm just kidding um
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, walmart i facebook? think facebook has better yeah facebook has better earnings power
2: all right let's get to the next mismatch pair amgen and morgan stanley both trading around 14 times forward earnings bono and which is the better buy
1: I'm going to say Amgen, actually, and, and upon first glance, right, if you're taking a look at revenue growth and margin, both top and bottom line, at least as of late, you've seen this uplift in the banking sector. But then when you drill down just a bit further and you start looking at um, the ratios, return on invested capital, return on assets, return, return on equity, it's just a much more capital-like business for Amgen. And I think it has the upside of being able to bring pharmaceutical and biotechnological biotechnol- technological developments to market. More upside, trading even, I'm going with Amgen.
2: I feel like this is gonna be a, a real difficult one for a Guy Adami, right? Guy, what would you say?
5: No, you say that. Really? I mean, you say that sarcastically. Okay. I'm, You're I'm with take the icebreaker. Oh, really? I thought
2: you were going to take Morgan no. Stanley. No, false. Huh. False. Interesting. False. All right. So you
5: think you know?
2: I thought I You know I knew. what I
5: did? I did a couple of these things. You, know, you were trying to get in my head, <laughs> I but think, I yeah. dodged and weaved. <laughs> no, I'm with I'm with the icebreaker. Listen, Morgan Stanley's made master strokes in terms of changing their business model. And Dan, about a year ago, said it was the best looking financial chart. But you know what? That's great a year ago. But their margins are going to continue to get whittled away where Amgen is probably the best biotech stock out there. So I'm with B. Icebreaker on this one, Melms.
2: Last but not least, and to me, the most interesting pair of the evening, Netflix and GE, both trading at 52 times forward earnings. That's a shocker, right? Dan, which one?
3: I would say Netflix. I mean, when you think about uh, one of the reasons why Netflix gapped up uh, after their last quarter was just really unleashing some of that earnings power that investors have been waiting for here, growing into that valuation. So um, when I when you think about what what are the when we're comparing apples and oranges, like we are, In this scenario here, I want uh, consistency, I want quality of earnings. Um, I don't think GA is going to be able to demonstrate that um, anytime soon. And I think if Netflix is going to continue on um, churning out earnings growth the way that they have right here with double-digit, maybe 15 to 20% sales growth expected for the next few years, I think you'd rather be
1: in Netflix.
2: I think this has been one of the best games we've ever played in Fast Money to the worst music we've ever played on Fast Money. Coming up, (laughs) and the music, please. Coming up, shares of CrowdStrike soaring after its latest earnings report. We'll get you all the details straight from the call, plus shares of Starbucks perking up to a new all-time high today. The reason behind this move, a lot more when Fast Money returns.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We have gotten earnings alert on CrowdStrike. Shares are soaring after reporting earnings. Josh Lifton's got the details. Josh.
9: So, Melissa, remember, heading into this print, that stock had been under some recent pressure. It was down about 10 percent in March, but still a remarkable run, up about 500% in the past 12 months, and now, as you said, heading sharply higher here in the after hours. As for that, print beats on the bottom and the top, and guidance better than the street was looking for here. I did catch up with Andrew Nowinski over at D.A. Davidson. Strong Q1 revenue guidance, which is conservative, he says, and for the year, revenue guidance also better than expected and conservative as well, he argues, just because the demand environment is now even stronger than last year. Due to the solar winds and Microsoft Exchange attacks. CrowdStrike is a buy, according to Andy, says limited competition and a large untapped opportunity ahead. On the call, CEO George Kurtz calling this a phenomenal fourth quarter. Customers of all sizes are choosing CrowdStrike improved margins, meaningful positive free cash flow. Q4 customer wins included, he says, Pfizer and Procter & Gamble. Melissa, back to you.
2: All right. Thank you, Josh. Josh Lifton for more on CrowdStrike's quarter. Do not miss Jim Cramer's exclusive interview with the company's CEO. That is coming up top of the hour in Mad Money. Meantime, let's trade it. Dan, what do you say?
3: Listen, I think we were looking at a very similar situation in Zoom a couple weeks ago, right? A very, um, a, you know, a highly priced company on a multiple to sales. This is trading 35 times sales this year, 27 times expected next year. So what did Josh just say? He said that um, the analysts that he spoke to thought the guidance they, they gave for the full year um, is conservative. That was also the case with Zoom. Um, Zoom had a hard time finding a bid here. So, you know, I wouldn't be chasing this stock at 210. Um, you know, the implied move in the options market was about 11 or so percent. So I'm not sure who the incremental buyer is. But one really important point, there is a different shift here, you know, where Zoom is downshifting from last year where they accelerated a lot of demand. Look at what happened with solar wind and some of these continued hats. This is just a secular shift for crowd-sized business, but it's a very expensive stock.
2: All right, coming up is this the worst-looking chart in the market. One of our traders thinks so. The big headline from overseas that's got him feeling so bearish. We've got the name straight ahead. But first, Guy is winding up for a fast pitch on one semi-stock he says is set to surge. But will the other traders buy in? And we will find out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The chips are ripping higher today. And Guy Adami says there is one name in the space that could see an even bigger breakout. He's stepping up to the plate. With his fast pitch to the mound, I guess you've been saying this for years. Guy, take it away. It's
5: been a while since I've done the, yeah, it's been a while since the power pitch. You know, you get to my age, your arms get sore and stuff. But I'm going to power pitch away, and the name is AMD. And I know we talk about this all the time, uh, but I think the stock is poised for the next leg higher. Here are my reasons why. First reason is that Xilinx acquisition back from October. They spent $35 billion on it. We talked about it at the time. A lot of people said they completely overpaid. But guess what? In retrospect, they didn't. And quite frankly, given the chip shortage that we all talk about now, if they tried to do a similar acquisition, probably cost twice that. So once again, uh, AMD ahead of the curve. Second point is their third generation chips that they spent the last five years working on are about twice as fast as the competitions. And as Dan knows, Twice as fast in this arena is light years ahead of everybody else. And they're starting to reap the benefits, reap the rewards of that five years of work. And the final reason uh, is exactly the person that's gotten this point. That's Lisa Su. She took over, I think, in 2014. Now, if you recall the early days of fast money, we used to talk about AMD existing only to keep Intel from being a monopoly. And quite frankly, That was true. And she took over a company that was being left for dead in 14. Took her about a year or so to turn it around. But just look at the stock performance from about late 2015 to where we are now under her leadership. And quite frankly, I still think the best is yet to come. So for me, the Xilinx acquisition, extraordinarily accretive. They filled in some of the blanks that AMD was missing. Their third gen chips are light years ahead of everybody else. And Lisa Sue, stocks traded off about twenty-four percent from the recent all-time high, I think we're about to take the next leg higher. Back to you, Melissa Lee.
4: Tim has got a question for you, guy. Tim,
5: fire Yeah, guys. There,
4: so sir. if if uh, it, right, if, so if Intel's the the New York Yankees uh, and AMD is the upstart New York Mets, they're really closed the gap on on uh, kind of the legacy powerhouse. Um, how do, you, how do you handle the fact that at this point they're not sneaking up on anybody? Uh, and, in fact, AMD is trading at 35 times and, and, and you know, with roughly 30 yeah. percent growth. Um, it's, it's in the price, much in the way that people understand the Mets are really, you know, stealing the thunder from the Yankees these days.
5: I like what you did there. I do. And you're 100 percent right. Listen, <laughs> if you want to just play the valuation game, uh, yes, these these upstart AMD is way more expensive than the stodgy old Intel Yankees and and they're probably right to be I mean there seems to be you know Intel's being left in the dust for a lot of different reasons uh, and AMD's been ahead of the curve in terms of some of the moves they've made the Xilinx acquisition was a huge gamble I mean not unlike some of the gambles the Yankees have made sometimes they pay off sometimes they don't I'm here to tell you though <laughs> that without, without equivocation, the Xilinx uh, acquisition is going to pay off in spades.
2: No more questions, no more sports metaphors. Time to vote. Are you buying Guy's pitch on AMD? Dan Nathan, what do you say?
3: Uh, listen. I am Dan, but I am selling AMD here. Last week, Mel, we did this uh, ugly ducklings thing about these companies, these stocks that got hit really hard off their recent highs and then had anemic bounces. I think this is anemic bounce. I know the guy who's looking at that 72 level. If it breaks there, it's going much lower.
4: Tim? Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm a buyer, um, much in the same way I'm a buyer of the New York Mets. I think their CPU platform on servers is, is innovative, and they're rocking it.
2: Bonowin.
1: Grand slam. Go Mets. Um, listen, I'm buying it as well. I think uh, Guy makes some great points. So I understand that the, the pushback is going to be about valuation. I mean, this thing has traded off of about 55, 60, and is now trading at about 44. I think it, that should give you some solace and a little bit of comfort in terms of getting involved.
2: Are you pandering for America's vote, Guy? Your slogan, keep it yeah, sly, Yeah, can you vote read that, Guy. please? Can keep you read sly. that, my smart board, please? Keep it sly, vote for Guy, hashtag bitch. Well, yeah, you can if you want to. <laughs> Um, It's your turn of vote, America, so you can keep a slime vote for Guy or not. Are you buying Guy's Fast Pitch on AMD? Head to our Twitter poll, CNBC Fast Money, to vote. we got the results later in the show. Up next, one coffee stock is percolating to new all-time highs today. Is this name the caffeine jolt your portfolio needs? Much more uh, Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Starbucks topping the tape today, hitting a new all-time high. BTIG upgrading the stock to a buy today, saying the recovery is gaining steam and stimulus checks could provide an additional boost. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson will be on CNBC tomorrow at noon Eastern time ahead of the company's annual meeting. Um, Bonman, what's the trade here?
1: Uh, It's a great company that's been able to pivot throughout the pandemic and and really figure things out. But I'm not buying it here. I think 39 price to earnings through 21 is a bit rich and it starts to normalize out 22, 23. But the argument around these reopening trades is that there's going to be this massive acceleration in terms of revenue and spend. And that will be pulled forward in the short term. I don't want to look out to 22, 23 when I'm looking at a reopening trade. So I'm, I'm going to pause here.
2: All right. Coming up, one of our traders is calling this. The worst-looking chart in the market. The name he's watching, what you should do if you own it. And don't get chipped. There's still more time to vote in our Twitter poll. Are you buying Guy's Fast Pitch on AMD? Let us know at CNBC Fast Money. we got the results straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alibaba shares falling today after the company's web browser was pulled from app stores in China. The move follows comments from Chinese President Xi Jinping calling for increased scrutiny on big tech. Xi saying regulators need to fill in gaps and loopholes when it comes to Chinese tech companies. Dan, you're saying that uh, one of the worst looking charts in the market is of a Chinese tech company.
3: Yeah, and it's Alibaba. I mean the news flow has been, you know, downright horrible for months now. Um the stock has been very volatile. Um if you look at it right here, it's down from I think about two seventy five to just about um You know, 226, 227 right here, sitting right on some massive technical support. Look at that chart. It's a massive head and shoulders um, formation here. It really has to hold here. The news flow has gone from bad to worse. I'll kind of leave that um, for Tim. But it seems like the Chinese government is seriously looking to clamp down on this company and some of their entities. And I just think you want to be careful below those recent lows, uh, below 220.
2: I get that really clamping down harshly would be cutting off your nose to spite your face, in a way, because these are, these are national champion companies, Tim. At the, at the same time, they are requiring Alibaba to do things like divest some of its businesses, like Ant Financial, that could really transform these businesses and how they're valued.
4: Yeah, I, I that's the I'm actually more worried about this. Um I you know, Alibaba's media assets including what they hold in some American companies like Twitter, but also Billy Billy, which is a, an online video gaming uh platform. It's a forty billion dollar company. I mean the, these are part of the nuggets of, of value that I, I I actually like in owning uh Alibaba. So uh, I'm I'm not surprised that the regulator actually needs to do their job. I'm not surprised that they're they're uh, you know, doing their they're, they're slapping on the wrist, call it uh, the companies that have been front running the government. But uh, it's the entire China tech sector that's under pressure. And the irony of this is is that this is you know where we were uh, fighting many of our kind of geopolitical wars over the last couple of years with China. We really control the Internet and control tech, uh, the next wave of technology companies, which China wants to put them out there. I, I don't run to the door at these levels. I got to tell you, 220, very big support on Baba.
2: Bono, and you actually saw some bearish options activity in this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the options markets are telling us much of the same. Um, calls are, are outpacing puts one and a half to one, but I wouldn't really read too much into that. And then options are implying about a two and a half percent move in either direction between now and Friday. So short term until March expiry. And then the trade that I really think kind of continues the narrative is about 10,000 of the 225 and a half strike puts in March traded for about 130. So you're spending about half of a percent for some downside protection between now and Friday. Again, just kind of putting out some insurance on the books given the negative news flows that we've been seeing as of late.
2: All right. Well, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, find out if America agrees with Guy's bull case on AMD. Head to Twitter um, and vote in our poll at, fast, at CNBC Fast Money Excuse me. results right after this quick break.